0: When we look at our world today, we see people taking extreme positions, vilifying each other, while it seems there are very few people who are attempting to listen, to understand, and to reconcile. We see violence and wars without any regard toward the enemy, and a seeming indifference to the plight of innocent non-combatants. We see greed and consumerism chasing each other in a vicious circle. And a growing segment of people which is threatening to become a majority is practicing a lifestyle of selfish immorality where anything I want is acceptable. What's wrong with that? Let's do anything we want. But there is one thing that fewer and fewer people are tolerating. Faithful relationships between a husband and a wife who desire to raise their children in such a way that they will contribute to the common good of all people. More and more, such people are being considered a danger to the Freedom of this so called majority. Now, we must understand against this background there is no political, educational, legal, corporate, or charitable solution to this problem. It is a human problem, and humans cannot solve it. So church people must understand, myself included, I'm too often ignoring this as you heard me pray, that everything that is falling apart that we just love to complain about and don't do anything about, it's a result of a spiritual problem. And Christians should be wielding spiritual weapons because The whole world is under the power of the evil one. That's a direct quote from John in the Revised Standard Bible. You see, there's only one person who can change all of this. He's the savior of the world that for the most part has rejected him and is under condemnation due to unbelief. And that is why our gospel passage this morning is just so important. What Jesus did to the many unclean spirits that were tormenting this poor soul, he can still do today. Will we believe him enough? To engage in spiritual warfare, especially intercessory prayer. Remember, Jesus says these only come out by prayer. He is also the one whom the covenant God said would come from David's line of descendants who would rule in love and truth and faithfulness. And now let's find all of this and more in our text this morning. Now, again, I see two big parts here that there is a setup in the gospel story of Mark and then there's the conclusion of it. And despite the paragraphs in the Bible that I have in front of me, I saw four equal sections of five verses. So the first half can be summed up this way. Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit who could not be bound, but who runs to him, worships him, and calls him son of God. And Jesus is commanding the unclean spirit to come out. Okay, part one. Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit just southeast of Galilee, not far from the shore, who could not be bound or subdued, and he was actually harming himself. Now let's look at it, go through it phrase by phrase. They come to the other side of the sea, to the region of Gadarenes. Now, If you have a bunch of Bibles, there's a lot of different spellings. It doesn't matter. Just understand this was in uh, non-Jewish territory on the other side of the Jordan. They came here, um, he and his disciples, they were named above and their names aren't repeated. And then we're told after he came out of the ship at once, He confronted him from the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who was dwelling among the tombs. So we've got to get this. Before Jesus could even catch his breath, and remember, he's human and he's God. He's in a human body. All of a sudden, he's accosted by a contentious man having a defiled spirit, which was defiling him. And he was living among the tombs of dead people. I saw a number of commentaries saying, don't miss this. He was definitely near death living among dead people. And then hear this. No man, no more, not at all, was being able to bind him. For often he was bound with chains, hand and foot, which he tore and broke in pieces, no man being able to subdue him. Using a triple negative which in the Greek language doesn't cancel each other out, but reinforces each other, we're told this man had superhuman strength to break all chains that people put on him. And further, it was impossible for men to subdue him. So then we're told, just taking it up another notch, always. Night and day, in tombs and in the mountains, he's crying out, bruising himself with stones. Just get this, it's gotten self-destructive. He's always crying out everywhere, inflicting harm on himself. This is a pitiful portrait of what the effects of demon possession are on a human being. That's the end of part one. Part two, he ran to Jesus and worshipped him, addressing him as son of God. And Jesus was commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So, Mark continues narrating this story. Having seen Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. This is important. This pitiful human being, suffering under the defiling spirit, saw something in Jesus that moved him to run to Jesus and worship him despite everything, but then were heard, having cried with a loud voice he 's saying, "What to thee and me, Jesus, Son of God, most high, I am commanding thee by." God, not me, to torment. Now the unclean spirit is addressing Jesus through this man. And he starts by inferring that they are enemies with nothing in common, not to me, not to thee. He rightly, though, addresses Jesus as the Savior, Son of God, Most High. And then he strongly requests Jesus not to torture him. Mark goes on. Because he was saying to him, Jesus to the evil spirit, thou must come out unclean spirit from this man. And he was asking him, what is thy name? Now, the unclean spirit did not want to be tormented Because Jesus was commanding him to come out of the man. And he knew of Jesus' power. And then Jesus asked his name. Mark continues. He's saying to him, Legion, for we are many. And he was requesting him much that he not send him out of the country, out of the region. He wanted to hang out in this place. That's the end of part one. That's the setting the stage. And now we see Jesus permitting the unclean spirits to enter pigs. And people then see the man sitting in his right mind. And Jesus tells this man to proclaim what the Lord did for him. You see, Jesus is that chosen servant of prophecy going all the way back to David's time up to Bethlehem. So part three, Jesus permitted the unclean spirits to enter a herd of pigs who were drowned. And then people see the demon-possessed man sitting dressed and in his right mind. Let's go back to Mark's account. But it was being there on the mountain, a great herd of pigs being fed. So now we have a reset of the scene. We're given more information. We learned that on a nearby mountain, a great herd of pigs is being tended. So they, this legion, oh, I should have pointed out, a legion, is more than 6,000 foot soldiers and more than 700 horsemen. Now, that's just to give you an idea of what's going on in this man. And they are requesting Jesus, saying, Thou must send us into the pigs that we may enter into them. So this legion... Of unclean spirits request that Jesus send them into the pigs. You see, they are willing to trade a human body for the bodies of unclean animals, and I think that 's only fitting right they 're unclean they shouldn 't be in people in god 's image, maybe unclean animals okay so then we 're told he Jesus permitted them and the unclean spirits entered into the pigs. The herd rushed impetuously down this steep slope into the sea about 2,000, and they were being drowned in the sea. So Jesus grants the request of the unclean spirits. They enter the herd of pigs. Well, now we find out a specific number, not a general number. It had nothing to do with Rome. We could say there's only 2,000 demons, but just imagine that. That's a substantial number. What were 2,000 demons doing in this poor soul? But think about this. What power Jesus has to command 2,000 demons to come out of a tormented man. And because of what the pigs did, Jesus got the last word. They were disembodied. They weren't even in the unclean pigs. They just had to go wherever they go disembodied. Jesus is amazing. In fact, Jesus has unlimited spiritual power. Mark continues, and then those who were tending the pigs fled and told it in the city, in the countryside, and they went out to see what is being that had happened. Something's happened. The pig herders went everywhere telling everyone what happened. Now, I ultimately didn't put it in the sermon, but I was thinking. About Jesus in reaction. Remember at his birth there were shepherds who were nobody and the angels miraculously told them what happened and when they saw Jesus they had to go and tell everybody. Now these pagan non-Jews see a whole bunch of demons go into a herd and it runs off the sea and they were so moved and so astonished they had to go and tell everybody. It's kind of like God's power can be seen even by those that don't know Him. So they did go everywhere. And it's interesting the verbs now become present tense. And this is a narrative um device. And what the Holy Spirit's trying to do with Mark is he's trying to say, you're now part of this story. You're joining this story in midstream wherever you are, knowing me or not. But from here on in, you're gripped. And here's what's happening. Um, they are coming to Jesus. They are coming. They are seeing him. And the one who was being demon-possessed, sitting having been dressed, and being now in his right mind the one who had been having the legion and they were afraid. Non-Jews are now seeking Jesus to see him. And the man who was transformed from a tortured, self-abusing soul into a new person. And we're told he's now sitting calmly, dressed in regular clothes, not chains. And he has a sound mind so he may know God and know God's ways. But these non-Jewish people are extremely afraid of Jesus' power. So here's our first little mini-application. Let us be reverently amazed at His power and worship Him for His power because Jesus has unlimited spiritual power. And then the grand climax, the fourth part, Jesus prepares to leave at the people's request. And he tells the formerly demon-possessed man to proclaim what the Lord did for him in the region of the ten cities, all were amazed. So they related to them, those having seen how it happened to the one demon-possessed and the pigs. This is a miracle story, people, of incredible proportions. As people came from the city, those who saw what Jesus did for the demon-possessed man were relating every detail of this miracle to them. And then we have a verse that has puzzled people, but I don't think it's really that puzzling. And they began to request him, go away from the region. Go away. Why was it they could not abide the miracle? And I chose that word on purpose. <laughs> this man had been abiding in tombs plagued by demons. And you would think that they could abide Jesus in the miracle. In fact, Jesus says, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. Well, I think there's a line from a 1972 Jethro Tull album, Thick as a Brick. Here's the line we will be geared to the ordinary rather than the exceptional. And I think this may be behind the answer. You see, Jesus has disrupted the patterns of their everyday lives. They just want to be left alone in their boring, ordinary, everyday lives doing what they've done every day of their life. Don't shake us up, Jesus. So, Mark continues, having gotten into the ship, the one having been demon-possessed was requesting him that he might be continuing with him. So, hey, if they don't want him, this is God. Jesus acted on the request of the people and he prepared to go away from the region. But the man whom Jesus had delivered The tense of the verb is he's continually requesting, I want to always be with you, Jesus. He knows the greatest blessing is to be continually with God's Son, the Savior. Icthas, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Here's another application. If we have experienced Jesus' deliverance. We should always desire to be with him, continually experiencing him in our lives. Mark goes on. Not he allowed him, not Jesus allowed the man, but he says to him, thou must be going to thy house and to those who are thine, and thou must proclaim how much the Lord to thee had done And he was merciful to thee. So the request of his heart, Jesus just says, no, you can't have that. But he gives him a big assignment. This delivered man is to tell all who know him what the Lord Jesus did for him in his compassionate mercy. The word means primarily mercy, but compassion driven. And here's another application. We must obey Jesus by telling many others what he did for us in his compassion. And who knows, that could be the first step in making them to be disciples according to the great commission. And now the story ends. He went away. And he began to proclaim in the ten cities... How much he did for him, Jesus, and they were marveling amazed. Now, I got out a Bible atlas, and Decapolis is just Greek for 10 cities. So he's going throughout this region, which lay south of the Sea of Galilee on the other side, the non-Jewish side. And these 10 cities took up so much space, he ended up going on a tour, a preaching tour, a proclaiming tour of some 40 miles north to south, and it was some 20 miles wide. He covered a lot of ground and immediately he started doing this. And so imagine people living in a region that big. We don't know how many tens of thousands that was, but all who heard about what Jesus did while he was proclaiming it, they were amazed at Jesus. And here's the bottom line of this whole true story this morning. We... In our world today, which I outlined, we must be as amazed by Jesus' power over demons even now as these people were who didn't even know him at the time of this story. And Jesus can do this and cast out demons because of his love for tortured humanity. Jesus has unlimited power over demons. So in this world, which is just infested by people not knowing Jesus and demons having a field day, we must be praying and believing that Jesus will do something. Now, our passage from the Psalms just sets this all up. And we must, well, first of all, let me say what it says. A choir leader Leads singing about the love and faithfulness of Yahweh, the covenant God, concerning this eternal chosen servant from David. Now, this psalm, according to the heading, which I believe was inspired, was composed by Ethan, one of three Levites given leadership in worship music under David. Look at First Chronicles 15. And a maskele is for instructing God's people in wisdom. And we need wisdom to do what we are called to do by the gospel story we just heard. So now let's look at these four lines. The steadfast loves of Yahweh forever I will sing. To generations, I will proclaim the faithfulness of thee with my mouth. Now, I believe Ethan was led to pluralize love, to talk about the intensity of God's strong, transforming love, which we saw in Jesus hundreds of years later. Now, faithfulness can also mean truth, uh, it's a 50 50 coin toss. But uh, he has confidence as he writes this first line for people to sing that God will preserve this inspired song for future generations. He says his mouth will be proclaiming this to generations. And, and here we are at least 2,700 years later and it's in the Word of God. We must desire to proclaim the love and truth of the covenant God whenever we're worshiping Him. And when I say worship, understand God wants us to continually worship Him in our everyday lives. Um, you know, in in, in, in contrast, With, um, you know, the pagans where this man had to go. They weren't worshipers of God. Let's go on. For I said, forever steadfast love will be built up as the heavens thou will establish thy faithfulness in them. So Ethan's stating the love and faithfulness of Yahweh will be forever built up and established everywhere in his creation, all time, all places. I have made a covenant. God is now speaking to my chosen one i have sworn to david my servant remember what is called by some the messianic covenant when david when nathan gave to david god's specific word he could not build god's temple but rather solomon he said the eternal king would be a descendant of david last word forever I will establish thy descendant. I have built for all generations thy throne, Selah. Be lifted up, be exalted, give glory to God because of this truth. Taken as a whole, this introductory stanza to the psalm says God will establish his Messiah in love and faithfulness. And he will bless all who receive Messiah in humble, obedient faith. Messiah is established in love and faithfulness. So let me now just wrap it up, pull it together. Jesus meets a man tormented by unclean spirits who lived a self-destructive life. But Jesus commanded them to leave the man and allowed them to enter a herd of pigs who drowned themselves. And when this was reported, people found the formerly demon-possessed man sitting, dressed, and in his right mind, a sound mind before God. And then when the fearful people asked Jesus to leave, he sent the man to the ten cities to tell all the Lord did for him. All were amazed. Why? Because Jesus is the eternal King, prophesied from the line of David, and Jesus has unlimited spiritual power. Let us live our lives that way, no longer living ordinary, but in the extraordinary King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, who can conquer any demon's